Good morning, church. You sound great. I want to say, um, so I greet everyone. I want to welcome in particular uh, those of you who are visiting us. Uh, first time or more than one, or maybe visiting with family, and we're glad you're here. And I also want to welcome uh, those joining us online or via Facebook, and we're glad you're here uh, today. I'm glad I'm at church. This was a beautiful worship. And it was so relaxing. <laughs> it was so peaceful, the, the flute and the prayers and the children's story. I was just sitting here just sort of uh, letting it um, envelop me, you know, the experience of, of church. And um, I should say, bless Sabbath and also happy Thanksgiving. I think we can still say that. Um, you know, I uh, didn't go uh, with my family. I won't say home because this is supposed to be home. But I didn't go with my family. They're, they were traveling, so we Skyped. And, uh, but it was really very awesome to be adopted. So I'm changing my name to Bailey, Smith, Ledesma. <laughs> and some people, I just kind of burst into their home, but they were so nice to me. And um, I was really well fed. So I hope you guys had a wonderful Thanksgiving as well. So we have a lot to be thankful for. And while we have a lot to be thankful for, um, there are also uh, in our congregation, I think Pastor Rodley mentioned it, uh, people are also grieving uh, in our midst and missing uh, loved ones who are not um, here for Thanksgiving. And uh, their seat at the table is, uh, is obviously obviously empty. But I, I praise God for that hymn that we sang. What did it say? Like a heartache as a stepping stone. Um, that did something to my heart to hear that. So I think in, in tragedy and in maybe during the holidays, that's when we figure out that um, we do better together than struggling by ourselves. And, um, and maybe it's a way to segue into my sermon today. Um, and this is how I thought I would start, it is with this, is Genesis 2.18, which, which says, um, it's not good for man to be alone. And um, yes, it uplifts marriage, uh, the value of marriage, but it's, the implication is, is also very big in that as human beings, we're not made to be uh, in constant isolation. Um, we're created for friendship. And God, at the beginning, in the book of beginning, it says, you know, let's go for a walk in the cool of the day. We were created for, uh, for relationships. And yet, you know, in our modern time, um, we're facing a, uh, a huge epidemic. And I came across that uh, on the radio while listening. And uh, so it led me to Google and to, to kind of find some articles and and all the, the researchers agree that there's this epidemic um, called loneliness. As uh, these uh, two researchers from um, uh, the University of Chicago, uh, they said that loneliness is a modern epidemic in need of treatment. And it's not a metaphor, and, and literally it's, it's shortening people's lives. And um, I think one of the studies said it was worse than, I think it was three times worse than obesity even, loneliness as an epidemic. Now, um, you know, I was sharing with some people about two weeks ago, somebody asked me if uh, I had a significant other, you know, if I had a boyfriend, Vanessa, he asked me that. And then not, not you, you don't want to ask me that, but she asked me that. 
And I said, no, actually, no. And she says, oh, you'll be okay. You know, I could have said, I could have said, uh, oh, my foot fell off. And I would have had the same reaction. I mean, it's like, there's this, there's this stigma about, about aloneness. But I think instinctively, most of us know that to be alone doesn't mean that you're disconnected or um, that you're completely without friends. However, the demographic of those inflicted by this thing called loneliness, this feeling, it's a feeling of, of, not, of, of not feeling connected. Um, this feeling is, the, the demographic is surprisingly broad. Of course, unmarried people go through loneliness, but so do married people, so do people who are surrounded by family, um, young, old, uh, older people, widowed, divorced. There's no group that is immune from loneliness. Um, not even those uh, in the church here today. And um, the, the reasons are really complex, and, you know, uh, there are many reasons why not because something necessarily wrong with the person. Um, it's just the human experience of where we live right now. And maybe somebody came in and felt, well, is somebody even going to care about me, or does somebody even notice me as I walk in here? And uh, I'm, I'm praying that the sermon will be an encouragement somehow. What I want to share with you is that, you know, of all the reasons for loneliness, that one that surprised me so much, actually, in 2016, one of the reasons, politics. And uh, this quote is from Joanna Bond. She's a mental health professional. This is what she says um, in this day and age that we live in. It's, she says, we're limiting our ability to connect with others in a respectful way. You know, if you on the Twitter sphere long enough, you kind of notice stuff like, notice that. Um, but she says also this, we are isolating ourselves from the person and many times disparaging the person who holds a different opinion than our own. And this is the result. We're silencing our own voice out of fear of vulnerability, out of fear of retribution. We are, in fact, building the walls of loneliness and shame ourselves. It's not God's plan that we would be in isolation and we'd be friendless. And from the beginning, God's plan was for us to be in, in friendship with him and um, with each other. And this is what he invites us to do. I'm going to make one more preamble here. Uh, the sermon title is Friendsgiving. And um, Friendsgiving is uh, the, the combination, it's a blending of the word, right, uh, Thanksgiving and, uh, and friend, you know, Friendsgiving. People wishing each other happy Friendsgiving. And uh, it's also been dubbed a millennial interpretation of Thanksgiving. And the reason why um, I named the sermon Friendsgiving because it's not about so much Friendsgiving, but it illustrates the implication um, uh, of the disintegration of family, and it illustrates also our dissatisfaction with relationships that are shallow and simply limited to, to um, the like button on Facebook or Instagram. So Friendsgiving is an answer, uh, an answer to that. So it is a, it's a word that actually um, exploded in popularity within just, what, the four years or so, four or five years, especially thanks to social media. And what happens in, 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 in Friendsgiving uh, is, is celebrated around um, Thanksgiving. And I don't think we are of any risk of losing uh, the Thanksgiving holiday, but it is growing in popularity because most young adults, most people of this generation are not married. And many of them are actually living uh, away from their families. Uh, no longer is grandmother right next door. Um, 
and uh, they live in a different location than their relatives, and the money is kind of tight if you're a student or you're just uh, starting out in, in life. So anyway, so what happens is they get together on Thanksgiving, as like a potluck style, and, um, and the focus is not on the turkey, it's mostly on the people who are, who are um, in the room. So yeah, uh, Friendsgiving. And um, the ritual of Friendsgiving, I was fascinated by that, and I... And, um, and I've used it as well, too, because that's what I, I, my family wasn't around, so that's what I did, right? I had a stand-in family or families while I've, I've been here. Um, but the ritual of Friendsgiving is, is quite familiar, actually. This idea of people together around a table and everybody bringing something to contribute to the whole and um, this, the ritual of just giving thanks, it's all very, very familiar. Um, and it's seen into the lens of Christianity, right? Uh, Friendsgiving is not a once-a-year event, but it's actually a way of life. Except that the centerpiece of this original uh, Friendsgiving celebration is God uh, Friendsgiving. The centerpiece is the personhood and the passion of Jesus as our friend. Church is the original uh, Friendsgiving, is the fellowship. We're called to be friends of God and we're called to friend others in his name. So we're called to be friends of God and friend others in his name. Um, if loneliness needs a, a treatment, could this ancient invitation from a Palestine rabbi be the cure? Jesus said, I have called you friends. I'm going to invite you to pray. To pray. Uh, we've heard some beautiful prayers today. Uh, but I want to pray one more time as we open God's word. Um, Lord God, please, Lord, speak uh, through your word. And your servants will be careful to listen. In your name, amen. Amen. Um, so John 15 uh, is where I want to take us. John 15. And um, it's, not, it's real appropriate that John will be writing this passage because his book, you know, whenever, when I, when I first started my walk with the Lord, I know the, many people told me, read John. And we can see why. John is very relational. And uh, as we talk about friendship with God and friending uh, each other, uh, it's, it's appropriate. So anyway, John 15, uh, the scene in my mind is that, you know, it's of course dark. It's close to nighttime. And Jesus is walking with his um, disciples on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And the mood is very somber and very sad because, you know, they've just had supper. Of course, they don't know if it's their last supper. Um, and Jesus has said something about, about leaving, and it felt like a goodbye, and it was a goodbye. Because uh, around this time, um, actually, that very night he would be arrested and the next day tortured and, and killed. So this, the mood is very somber, and, and Jesus is, is speaking to his disciples as they're making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, we'll start at John, let's say John 15, verse 13, uh, until 17. Uh, he says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friend if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because servants does not know a servant does not know what his master's business is. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, 
uh, the Father will give you. This is my command, verse 17. This is my command, love each other. So we're called to be friends of God. I'm going to make just three points in regards to what friends... Uh, by the way, I have about four bullet points and, I'm, and I'll sit down. But on the first bullet point, I have three points. <laughs> but um, the first thing is we are called to be friends of God. I mean, who calls themselves friends of God? I mean, really, of God of the universe. It, it almost sounds very braggadocious to say that, to claim I am a friend of God. And um, no one can really do it unless God does. And God is the one who calls us friend. So the thing about being a friend of God is that it is um, God's idea and it is God's initiative. And the other thing about being a friend of God is that um, he says that uh, everything um, uh, that I learned from my father, I passed on to you, you know. And it's, uh, that's what it sounds like. It's very intimate. And, um, and, and the word friend, right, is the same word you would use like for a best man or um, somebody within the, the, um, uh, the, inner, the inner circle, right. It's a very intimate uh, thing to say. You know, to be friends of God. So, so, so about friend, the friend being a friend of God, first of all, it's God's idea, God's initiative. Um, the second bullet point is friendship with God is an intimate journey. And the other thing is, he says, you know, uh, you can be my friend when you do what I tell you uh, to do. And it can be a bit off-putting for the independent 21st century mind. When, you know, if a human being tells you that, you can only be my friend if you do what I, what I want you to do. But for us, you know, until we read the rest, right? And Jesus says, well, my command was, what is his commandment? What is his commandment? It's to love, right? It's to love. So uh, the thing about being a friend of God is the sign that you are a friend with Jesus is that you love each other. So, and we have been called to be friends of God. Now, what does that look like? Um, what does that mean? Uh, what does that life look like to be a friend uh, of God? One of the most powerful words in... Um, of that I well that I feel Ellen White has ever written. I love that it's that one sentence, thirteen words. I love that that sentence uh, from Steps to Christ. It's in a chapter uh, called it's already on the screen. I guess it's a chapter called The Privilege of Prayer, and uh, she says uh, the life uh, must be our life must be like Christ, the life between the mountain and the multitude. I think it encapsulates the motif of what the life looks like between the mountain and the multitude. I think it's so cool. So let's talk about the mountain, right? Of what it looks like to live um, uh, between the mountain and the, the multitude. Um, to be a friend of God is to be with God, right? Is to be with God, is to go with God. So to be with God, that's the mountain. And uh, in the Bible, it's, it, it feels like mountain is, is associated a lot with... Um, with great transformation, right? With great transformation. Uh, you've heard of the terminology, the mountaintop, you know, a mountaintop experience. Um, and the mountaintop experience with God, uh, it, it doesn't always seem very comforting, though. Although we seem to use mountaintop as something very positive. Uh, it's not always comforting, because when you read about mountains in the Bible, there's, there's lightning and, and a lot of quaking going on, a lot of shaking going on, and fire and, and, and these terrifying things. Another thing on the mountain is, is, is uh, more, oftentimes from Mount Moriah to, 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 to the transfiguration to Golgotha, there's, there's often an altar uh, on the mountain. So the mountaintop experience is, 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 is a scary, a terrifying experience. 
yet it is a place of great transformation. You know, it might be terrifying to turn over our life to, to God, but when we encounter God that's bigger than our plans and also God who says, I'm going to call you friend, then we have an incentive to do that, that he might want the best for us. Now, we might like the fact that Jesus said, you know, I command you love each other. You know, he's like, oh, okay, that's why you, oh, I can do that, Lord. Love each other. But you know what we need to do, though, however, is to, to stop trying if I read the Word of God. Because in chapter 15, we're going to linger in chapter 15 and go before and after the text that I read. But earlier in chapter 15, you know, it's all about the vine, right? I think you have a heading in your Bible that says the vine in the pruning. And uh, in, verse, in, in the verse 4, he says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. And when God invites us, commands us to love, we have to stop trying. You know, I can tell when I'm not in the Lord. You know, I, I, I can walk, I walk away and say something. I say, did I say that? That doesn't sound very loving. And our temptation might be to, oh, I'll try harder next time. And, you know, or maybe uh, I'll put up with such and such person. Or maybe, you know, maybe we're, we're triggered and we say, well, let's, but God hasn't called us to, to be nice, has he? Or to be polite. He has called us to be holy. And it's something beyond what we can do. So on the mountain, we find that what we are left to do is to cry out to God and say, Lord, here I am with all of who I am. My life changed after I did uh, two things. And it took a crisis for me to do this. <laughs> is, um, the two things I, I did is that I, I, I made time and I, I op opened my heart. And, you know, as I say that, it, you know, when we build friendship, whether it's in the natural or the supernatural, I think that's what the ingredient is, right? It's to, it's to give time and, it, it, and it's your heart. So in the spiritual, um, you open up time and you stop to evaluate and you make time to say, I'm not going to be an automatic Lord. I'm actually going to make time so that I can somehow encounter you because I'm tired of sermons and I just want to just experience you for myself. Let me see. Okay, Lord, give it to me, you know, make time. And then this opening of a heart is just telling God who you think you are. Say, Lord, this is who I think I am. Now, in this, uh, while reading my, uh, this, this passage here of, of the life between the mountain and the multitude, I saw this passage that I loved, and, it, and this thing about opening our hearts to God. This is what um, she says in Steps to Christ, chapter 7, under the privilege of prayer. If we come to God feeling helpless and dependent, as we really are, trusting faith to make our, known, uh, our wants known, and the person who receives our wants, who sees everything in creation, who governs everything by his will, he can and he will attend to our cry and will let light shine out of our heart. That's incredibly com comforting, you know, beloved, because I don't have to try to muster up the light on my own. But as I come in God's presence, thirsty and, and just saying, Lord, that's it. I, I can't do it without you. Something will happen. So the life of Christ is the life of living the of God's friendship is between the, the mountain and the multitude. So what is a multitude? So it's being with God. And the multitude is to go. 
right, is a motif of to go with God, is to go into, is to friend others in his name, is to go in a multitude. Um, you know, there are, you know, there's really actually two ways that friendships happen, right? I mean, you have something you really, uh, do you really enjoy? You know, I have this thing, this affinity. I don't think I've ever confessed this, but I have a, a kind of an affinity for bluegrass <laughs> for some reason, I'm not sure, but it makes me happy. And uh, I've made the most interesting friends that I would never make otherwise. You know, when I go listen to it, it's like, hey, it's like we're bonding. It's like we have this thing we're sharing together and we're just together and friends spark that way. Right? And there's another way of making friend, friendship is that you uh, take the initiative. You actually intentionally go to somebody and you say, you know what? I want to invite you to be part of our circle. There's two ways. Now, at Pioneer Memorial uh, Church, you know, as a church, you've made a commitment to the, to the discipline, to the practice of grouping. There's a discipline of study, right? Of prayer. That's also sort of a, a, a Christian practice. But so is grouping. This idea of building community is something that we need to practice. And this church, you know, in case you're a visitor here, uh, has made this commitment to grow, what we call grow group. It's a form of small group. And they made a commitment to um, friend others that way. They give their time and their heart. How do they do that? Time, they uh, put aside 8 uh, to 10, 12 um, weeks per year, or maybe they do it twice, Right? in which they focus on their passion, what they're interested in, and they invite other people to join. And they give their heart is to uh, take a chance and to have people see you up close, you know, and imperfectly. And if you invite them to your home, they might see a couple um, dishes that you didn't have time to wash, but, you know, you're being vulnerable. You're opening your heart, basically. Um, this is how uh, people are doing it in, in grow group. And the way I define small group or grow group is basically uh, two friends who who look at each other and they ask each other, how could we bless somebody else? And they go and, and find somebody else and there's three and boom, that's a grow group. And if they want more people to come, they just kind of look around and, you know, and, and build. But at least there's three people who come together um, and experience God's friendship. You know, God's um, friending others happens when uh, uh, the Sabbath school, uh, the Sabbath school here from this church, the leaders got together and they prayed and they, and they, they looked around and looked at each other, and they said, who else could we bless? Who else are we, who are we called to bless? And they said, you know what, let's have a visitor's day. Now, visitors, if you're here for the first time, we want, you know, we want you to feel welcome every time, okay? Every day is visitor's day. But, um, but the Sabbath school leaders want to do something special, all right? They want to introduce their passion for Sabbath school, the program, and then they, they want to um, invite to feed you, right? So if you're here next week, come on over. But they want to feed you downstairs in the common. And um, so that's how they're friending uh, others. Friending others happens when a family comes together. You know, the single mom and her kids or, or the mom, dad, they come together and as a family they decide who are we called to grow, who are we called to support, and, and who, uh, needs a, who needs us as a family. You know, who needs us for Thanksgiving, praise God. You know, and, and they, um, they, they take him in, involvement in, in the circle. And, and now you belong. You know, so... So as we are reaching out to people in love and friending others, they will just receive us with open arms, right? They will just be excited to say yes. But the reality is some will respond positively and some won't, and some will reject us. Um, and, you know, and sometimes when you encounter um, the pushback, it might be tempting to say, oh, forget it. This is awkward. This is weird. This is not going to work. 
building community is too hard. Um, you know, heart, people are hiding their hearts and they don't want to expose it, so it's too hard to form community. Time, are you kidding me? You know, two, three jobs or, or I'm a student, who has time? You know, the first, uh, or when I was young, younger, uh, I, um, I, I had this dream of, of, of this group, you know, that I was going to form, and, and I figured if I form it, they will come. And uh, it's a bit traumatic, because the only thing I remember is a, is a bowl of punch, untouched, because nobody came, except that one lady 30 minutes later, she showed up. And I don't know, I, I internalized it a little bit, it, it was the beginning, and um, she, I overheard her trying to reach her accountant, just please come to the group so, 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 you know, Sabine doesn't feel bad, <laughs> you know, trying to fill the group. I see you guys looking at me with pity. Stop it. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, did I give up? Yes, I was a bit discouraged at first, but, you know, the stakes are too high not to endeavor to, to, to do Friendsgiving every day. The Word of God says in Matthew 24, 12, it says that in the last day, because, wicked, because wickedness will increase the love of most will grow cold. So love will be a, a very precious, rare commodity. And what could be more noble and amazing than a group of people who are friends of God to come together and friend other people so that people will see it and say, oh, this is what God is like. Yeah, the stakes are way too high for us not to try and try and try again. And if it makes you feel better, you know, later um, in, and, you know, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But there, there are times when it does and it's wonderful. And I had made a commitment that I would show up no matter what and that I would open my heart no matter what for this prayer ministry. At first it was four people for a long time. Then, then it turned out to be eight for a long time. Suddenly it was 10. Suddenly 20. Suddenly it was 40, 50, 70. Building friends, Friendsgiving, you know, building it, uh, community, it can happen very automatically. It can take some effort. It can feel awkward. It can feel unnatural. But Jesus warned us that it would not be easy. He gave us a warning that to live God's friendship would sometimes seem an impossibility. Everything in our modern world, and he must have known, right? Everything in our modern world seems to conspire against us making real connection with each other. In John, back to John 15, you know, the Lord says in 18, 19, he says, you know, the world, by the way, is going to hate you. You know, if you belong to the world, they would love you. But since you don't belong to it, it's going to hate you. You're going to have some pushback. Um, but lest you become discouraged, at the very end of 15, John 15, God reminds us why this friending of other people is, a, is, is, is divinely initiated and only possible supernaturally as we trust in the Lord. And he reminds us that when an advocate comes, when I sent to you from you to the Father, he said the spirit of truth is going to help you out. And it's not the first time because when Jesus rose from the, the dead before he levitated to the, uh, back to his Father, he said this too. He says, you'll go and make disciples of all nations. But at the end of that, you remember what he said, right? He said, surely I am with you always. And this is not just him, this is not just a nice thing you put at the end of a sentence, I am with you always. It's literally a, a promise of the resurrecting power that's with his church, that we're able to do more than we think we can do because the power of God is with us to help us friend others and to be friends of God who friend um, other people. 
I heard one amen, praise God. <laughs> um, I want to talk about how when we friend others in his name, God can use our witness to make an impact for eternity. Okay, just as a recap, uh, God calls us to, to be friends, um, his friend, friends of God. And as a result, we are, we are called to live uh, that life of being with God and going with God. And um, the Lord uh, warned us that it would not be easy. There would be trouble in doing so. But as we move forward in faith, when we friend other people in his name, God can use our witness to make an impact for eternity. You know, the first time that the, 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 the terminology friend of God is used in the Bible, uh, and a scholar can, can direct me otherwise if this is not true, but the first time it's used is actually in Isaiah 40, uh, 41 verse 8. And it says that, uh, and he, but you Israel, God is speaking to Israel, and he says, my servant uh, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendant of Abraham, my friend. He clearly calls Abraham my friend. And Abraham has had um, an influence, at least on three major religions, but his commitment to being friends with God have impacted his, uh, the, the next generations that have followed him. Uh, it's an amazing thing to be called by God a friend of God. Now, if you have never read the story of Abraham, um, I encourage you to do so. Uh, I'll just give you some highlights. Abraham was the kind of person that God said, go p- pack up everything and go to this other country because uh, I have something really good for you there. He packed up all his things and family and he went. Um, Abraham is the kind of person who, when God said, you know, I'm going to take the most precious thing that you have, um, your son, and Abraham was willing to give his son. But the most uh, amazing uh, illustration of his life, of um, God's uh, friendship that come alive, come from an episode of his life that is um, really beautiful and, and strange at the same time. And I'm referring to Genesis 18, verses 16 to 33. I'm not going to read it right now, but I'm going to summarize it for you if you want to review it later. It's in Genesis 18, 16 to 33. And um, in that episode... Abraham, the friend of God, is pleading for the city, the wicked city of Sodom. It is doomed for destruction. And Abraham takes this role of almost a lawyer or maybe a priest as he intercedes for that city. And, and he comes to God and says, he, extends his, he says, Lord, um, what if, you know, 50 people, you know, were, were good enough to kind of take the sins of these people for you to, to forgive them? And... and um, God says, okay, 50, 50 would be enough. I would spare them for 50 people who are righteous. Now, mind you, the people of Sodom um, are not Abraham's people. I mean, he has his nephew that lives down there, right? You know, Lot. But he's not only pleading for, for Lot. He's pleading for the whole people, those people who are of different ethnicity from him, um, who, who are not even particularly uh, his, his friends, I mean. They have everything to be enemies, actually, but, but here he is. So, this strange exchange happens with Abraham counting that. What about 40? Would that be enough, Lord? If, if 40 righteous people stand up, will you spare the city? And he, he goes to 20 and, and 10, and suddenly God disappears. It's a really awesome story. And, then, and, and God disappears. And, and, and scholars wonder, well, did he stop at 10 because he didn't believe five would be righteous enough? 
Could he have thought that one would be enough? How can one human being be righteous enough to save a whole city? But he stops at 10. But the reason why I bring, him up to, I bring Abraham to you actually is for, because of this quote actually I found about this story um, by Tim Keller. This quote, he says here, Abraham is asking this fantastic question. In reverse, if the sins of someone else could come unto me and make me guilty, then couldn't someone else who is a sinner um, have grace because of my righteousness? Because there was this idea that you're, when you sin, you affect all the next generation. Well, what about the reverse? What if you don't? What if you're righteous and hold on to God? Couldn't that save people? And, he, and, and the, the, writer, the writer calls this a bold new kind of corporate responsibility. You know, when we friend other people, out of the overflow of our friendship uh, with God, the more we have a sense of responsibility for the person that we're praying for and that we're friending. Could you, could you turn to somebody and say, that'll wake you some of up too, some of you up too, but if you turn to somebody and say, um, we're in this together. I don't see y'all moving up. What's happening? Yeah, <laughs> wake up. No, turn to somebody and say, we're in this together. Yeah, because we are. We are in this um, together. We're in this together. You know, as for as long as I can remember, um, in my parents' library, oh, I should have brought the book. There was a book in my parents' library that, I, that among all the serious books in their library, there was this blue book called uh, Le Petit Prince, The Little Prince, yeah, by um, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. And uh, this story... Uh, this story was written by, by this man who's an aviator, actually, but also a writer. And he wrote it in the uh, early 1940s. And he wrote it around the time where he was very disillusioned with humanity. You know, uh, Second World War had just begun. And he had written before about love and the importance of love, but it, didn't seem, it seemed to fall on deaf ear. So he, got, he was so discouraged by it. By the way, The Little Prince was his last book. So he decided to, to forego of the adult book, and he used the voice of a child to express very deep concept. Well, in his book, The Little Prince, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a prince that comes down from another planet. And in his journey uh, on Earth, he encounters a fox. And this, this, this animal um, is beautiful, right? Beautiful and red. You know what foxes uh, look like, right? And um, the little prince is lonely, and he asked this fox to be his friend. And in this story, the animals talk. So the fox says, we can't be friends. I'm a fox. You're a, you're, you're a little prince. We're supposed to be enemies. But he said, if you really want to be my friend, this, little, uh, this animal said, you have to tame me. And little prince, I never heard of the word tame. like, what does that mean to tame somebody? And the, little, and the fox said, you have to make time and come every day, every day, and never be late. And that's what the little prince did. And eventually he tamed the fox. But it was soon time to part, and the fox started to weep. And the little prince said, it was your fault. You told me to tame you, and now look, your heart is broken. Writing those words, you know, is that question, you know, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Taming sounds a lot like friending, like making friends, you know. 
Because the fox uh, tells the little prince, he, there's two listen, lessons he leaves him with. And he, one of the first lesson he says is, now I'm sad because we are responsible for each other because you have tamed me. I belong to you now and you belong to me even though we're parted. So taming sounds a lot like really what God has done, right? While we were yet enemies, you know, God wanted to friend us. Um, it's not without risk, of course. The second lesson, by the way, the fox leaves with the little princes is what actually the author is very known for, that what is essential is invisible to the eye. You know, when you friend somebody in the name of, of God, um, we will, you will not see uh, the, uh, the impact, not all the impact that you have left behind you in people's lives. Those oftentimes are invisible to us. Um, and this is what Paul says uh, in 2 Corinthians 4, 18. He says, we don't look at the trouble we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that we cannot see. For the things that we see now will soon be gone, but the things that we cannot see will last forever. Uh, our witness when we friend in the name of God, make an impact for eternity. Now, Pastor Rodley mentioned um, the, the, lot, the loss of the, 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 the death of those two students from Andrews, you know, 20-year-olds. And, and I know a few students are here, but they're, they're mourning um, the loss of these young people. And even if you don't know them, the idea of 20-year-olds losing their life is, is, is really heartbreaking. Um, so earlier this week, I went to um, the, the chapel where they gathered all the friends of these two students, uh, Austin and Chandler, and the room was, pretty, was very full. And uh, at one point, Pastor Jose asked the group, because um, I didn't know them very well, Austin and Chandler, and Pastor Jose asked the group, if you were to introduce uh, your friends, Austin and Chandler, how would you do it? Oh, wow, that opened up. Uh, the, the floor, and people started to share um, about these guys and how much they meant to them. And you, mind you, they didn't sound like saints because some of their friends told on them and, and got a kick out of that. And for, for like a little second, it was as if they weren't really gone until there was a silence and the reality of their absence kind of pressed on your heart. But I kept thinking uh, two things. I said, wow, these parents would be so proud. Let me tell you some of the things they said about these, uh, these two students who, who, who lost their life. I think one of them or two of them were, were resident, were assistant in the dorm, leaders in the dorm. And uh, one of the guys said, as a resident assistant, he didn't just come in the room to check on me, but he, he took the time to listen to what I have to say and to talk to me. Somebody said, you know, I was alone in, my, in the classroom and didn't have anybody to partner up, and he suddenly showed up next to me and said, I'm going to be your partner today. And somebody said, uh, it was the little thing these guys did to make people feel that they weren't all alone in the world. It was a little thing that they did to make people feel like, wow, somebody, somebody noticed me. And you got the impression when you, hear, you heard these testimonies is that those guys weren't doing it. They probably would have said, oh, that's not a big deal. You know, they probably wouldn't have thought it was a big deal at all. 
Um, and I think it's because they were doing it out of the overflow of their friendship with God. You know, what is um, essential is invisible to the eye. One of the young um, ladies, I just, I just remembered, said that um, we need to, I need in my life to carry on that legacy. That's what they said. I need to carry on that legacy of the care that they receive from these, um, from these boys. What's invisible to us right now is the eternal impact that our friendship with God will have on the people. And uh, when we friend others in God's name, we leave a witness of God's love that stays long after, after we are gone. So church, will you accept God's invitation to be his friend? Will you accept God's call to friend others in his name? I want to say that you're not alone. You're not forgotten. You are chosen. And God has called you friend. I want to say a prayer for you before I continue. Lord God, Lord, I want to pray for those whose heart um, is aching today. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would just overwhelm them with your, with your presence. Um, that it would be of peace, Lord, because you are the Prince of Peace. And Lord, that they would know you and that they're loved. Amen.